and welcome to a very special episode of the Way to College podcast. As always, I'm Dr. Jose Saldivar, and uh, today on the podcast, we have um, three wonderful, wonderful, actually, interviewers. <laughs> so the, my three guests today, and really their interviewers today, have all been on the podcast before, um, and they've all shared their story, but one of them asked me, Dr. Saldivar, why don't you share your story? So I said, okay, well, you get to interview me then. <laughs> so the three of them will be interviewing me today, and I'll be sharing my story, um, my educational journey, and my professional journey. So I'll go ahead and turn it over to you all. Well, I'm Macarena Hernandez, and I'm very happy to be here, and I'm very happy to be here with my dear friends from all the way from high school, La Jolla High School, That's right? and I'll let them introduce <laughs> themselves, but we're all kind of connected through education. Uh, I've taught at the university level, and uh, a recovery from journalism led me there, <laughs> and um, and so I'm, I'm super interested in the ways schools work and don't work and so elizabeth i'm always i'll turn it over to her because she's always the person i call with all these questions about what's going on on the ground and, and my response is always i don't know but let's figure it out <laughs> or let's wing it right <laughs> that's the education for you right uh, i am elizabeth Villarreal, and we go way back and i was trying to remember when we met uh, at UT, uh, remember that first semester at UT? Oh uh, seven, oh six, oh seven, oh eight. It was in uh, Dr. Keating's class. Oh, remember? How do you remember? That? I have a crazy memory. <laughs> My yeah, it's yeah, ridiculous. So it's yeah. Been that long. So yeah. we met at, at grad school. We were yeah. working on our PhDs wow. in UT Austin. So I too uh, serve in the capacity of an educator. Uh, but that covers a lot of ground yeah. for, for many of us. Yeah. Uh, last year, I wiped tables. That's what I did <laughs> during COVID. Uh, but I am excited. I know I, I think I know part of your story, but yeah. I don't know the entire story. And you're a dude, man. I think that we need the, the, the male story because we need boys mm. now more than ever to mm. be inspired to, to find success in yeah. academia, right? Because many of them are pushed to the workforce, so I want to. I want to hear more about your story and how that can, they, it, it can encourage more boys to 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 get back to school. To, to yeah, see. yeah, no, I yeah, I I agree. And if if my story helps, great. Yeah. And my yeah. sister right here. Soy el pilón. I don't know how to say that in English. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Nancy Villarreal, uh, and sometimes Garza, but officially Nancy Villarreal. Uh, and I'm the sister and the friend and uh, the collaborator. And it's exciting to be here with, with these all of these beautiful minds. Uh, my insight really doesn't, is, is for me, the insight is the family. Mm-hmm. Um, what parents want, what they expect in their children. And one of the things is how do we, not only you said one word that you said about a story, but I want to add another word and it's how do you inspire Mm. the boys to want to go ahead and try to, to do something else that join the workforce or or the easy buck, or let me do a TikTok because it's faster to get money (laughs) or let me show. And I don't know if this is proper for the podcast, some feet finder. This is a new, you know, (laughs) uh, a whole other thing on that. So that glamorizing of social media, let's get back to, to, 
the hard work that it takes. So that's my role. Uh (laughs) This is going to be good. This is going to be good. Yeah. Okay. So you always get get us started as guests with Mm. particular questions. Can can you ask that question? If, um, if, if I had to go back and identify the beginning of my educational journey, where would that point be? And so for me, um, that point would be fifth grade. Um, first, first day of summer vacation, my father, who does auto body, woke me up and said, you're going to work today. And he, we hadn't talked about it. We hadn't discussed it at all. Um, I was a chubby kid. <laughs> so I was looking forward to, to sleeping late playing video games, um, munching out. And, uh, and he said, no, you're going to go to work. I didn't believe him at first, but no. And I remember um, the first day I'm out there and I think, I think I was like shoveling caliche. Um, and he comes over to me and he says, I'm doing this because I want you to see you have a choice. You can do manual labor and you can do hard work like this. And there's nothing wrong with this work but you have options and you can go to school and do well. And, and I was, I was always a good student, but I was a, I was a slacker. And so I, I, I did what I had to do to, 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 I mean, I got good grades, but it wasn't hard for me. And, and I think I took advantage of that. And so, and I think he saw that maybe I was getting a little lazy. And so he said, you know, and so from that moment, from fifth grade until I graduated, that's where I spent my summers at his shop, working at his shop, um, vacations was at the shop, Christmas break at the shop. Um, the only way I would, I could leave the shop early was, um, to go work out football practice. So he'd, he'd let me leave about three o'clock to go for football workouts, but that was it. That was it. And so for me, it was that, that moment that it was like, okay, you know, I've, I've got to take this seriously. Yeah. Because you didn't like the manual? Um, no, 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 no. I, and the, you know, the, the funny thing is, like, it, it was, you know, we talk about, like, the formal and informal education, right? And I think working at the shop was an incredible informal educational experience for me. Um, because, because I learned the value of hard work. I learned the value of a dollar. Um, there were... It was funny because that first summer that I was there, there were all of these men that didn't really work for my dad, but they were, there were a couple of men that worked at the, at the sugar mill in, in La Villa Mm -hmm. and it was out of season. So they were, they weren't doing anything. So they went to go work on cars. My old elementary principal was there on his day, on his weeks off for the summer, working on cars. And so I, I was just struck by these men that didn't have to be here but they were there and they enjoyed it. And I, I learned to love it. I really enjoyed, like I enjoyed going to the shop. And even, even now um, in these last couple of, I just left the university and, and I've been going to the shop more. And my dad's still, he's, he's retired, but he still goes out there. And he says, he said, where do you, all this energy come from? And I said, no, I just have time. I have more time now. I can come back. Yeah. Um, and so I, I learned the value of hard work, but I think, um, I also recognize, you know what, I, I I have opportunities and I want to take advantage of those and see where they take me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the one of the things that I found so interesting about you when I met you mm-hmm. was that you didn't need a PhD. I mean, mm-hmm. there's this young guy from the valley with a Stanford degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, you owned a newspaper 
right? At the time, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. You had a platform, you had a <laughs> yeah. voice. Yeah. And I think you were a board member or were pursuing. Um, I was on the I was on the Boys and Girls Club board at the time. So yeah. you were you were serving your community, mm. you were a business owner, and I thought, or you were teaching at the university. Yeah. Thought, Why is this guy taking the drive all the way to Austin <laughs> with all these hippie professors to get a yeah. PhD in education? Yeah. Like, who is this guy? Yeah. Stanford graduate? Like, what what greatness are you gonna be getting yourself into? <laughs> And I remember I invited him to sleep over in my in my sofa, in my sofa. I thought, why are you going to drive back? I have a house right here. And he was looking at me like, girl, what am I? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, I'm married, but I'm not going to That's right, yeah. But, uh, but I was intrigued. And, yeah. you know, one of the, uh, and I want you to walk us through, you know, your years in, in college, uh-huh. and your career and, choices. And why Stanford? Why yeah. not UTRGV or UT or Texas? Mm-hmm. Why Stanford? What yeah. paved that way or what led you to that? Mm. Where do I, where do I start? Like, yeah. <laughs> okay, Max, what do you think? Uh, um, so I, I went, I went to Ed Kachelsa yes. and I think, I, I always knew I was going to go to college, right? There was never any doubt. I actually, I think middle school, early high school, I was thinking A&M. Okay. I had some family members that had gone, my, my one, an uncle that had gone A&M and a cousin that had gone A&M. And so um, I thought I'll go to A&M. And then my high school English teacher, English history teacher, Dr. Frank Guajardo, he challenged us like in my class. And he said, where are you all going to school? Where are we going to college? And everybody said like UT, UTPA, maybe A&M. And he said, why don't you go? Why don't you dream bigger? And I think at the moment, there were a bunch of us that, well, we were football fans. So we watched Notre Dame football. Mm -hmm. So we said, oh, okay, Notre Dame. We want to go to Notre Dame because we want to go watch the football team. And um, and so, you know, Frank identified um, 10, 12 of us who he thought would really leave um, and I think, um, I think he saw that he saw that in me. I, I was, I wasn't top 10. I was just outside the top 10, but you know, I, I wasn't afraid to say, yeah, I'll go, I'll leave. And so he took us on an East coast trip. We, we raised uh, fundraised for about six months, um, selling chicken plates and all sorts of things. And then, um, and then spent spring break on the East coast visiting, you know, all the Ivies and NYU and, and George Washington. And so, um, and it was amazing. And seeing, I think, seeing Latino students, seeing Latino faculty, because Frank did a really good job of deliberately scheduling it while they were in class. So we attended classes and then having dinners, lunches with Latino faculty. And so seeing a lot of okay. um, faculty and stuff, we all thought, yeah, we can do this. We can come out here. We can come here. You didn't know you were seeing the three factors. Uh, yeah, no, no, yeah, no, right? <laughs> For all we do. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. No, we we, we did it, right? Um, so we, um, and 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 then there were already students from EdCaps that were out there. So we stayed with, with a number of them. And um, and so we came back, I think all of us sort of recommitted ourselves and said, you know what, we want to, we want to go, we want to go far. Um, ultimately, I chose Stanford because of the weather. Really? Yeah, because. What in the world is the weather? I mean. Okay. Because it's gorgeous way. It's like oh. 60 degrees all the time. 
there. And so, and when, when we were visiting the East Coast, it was spring break and it was snowing. And I thought, I don't, I don't want to know. This is fun. It's great to visit. Two weeks is great, whatever. I don't want to have to be taking classes and walking through the snow. Correct. And Stanford's a little ahead of the game when it comes to Latinos on campus. They have Casa Zapata, right? Yeah. It's like the dorm for Latino students. And a lot of the Latinos that I met when I was in college that were going to Stanford, they, they were like, wow, your university definitely sounded like 30 years ahead of Baylor where I was a student. Yeah. And so I wonder, did you, did they showcase? No, no, I, 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 I applied to 15 schools and because I wasn't sure that I would get in because I was just outside the top 10. Mm -hmm. Um, But my, I, I tested well and, and, and was in everything that I could get into. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and so Stanford was one of the few schools I didn't visit. And I just went based on because of the weather and because of reputation. And I knew, I figured because of location, there would probably be more Latinos there. And you know what? I tell students now, pick a university. They're all businesses. They're Mm -hmm. all trying to hustle you. Pick a university in a city you want to live. Yeah. Because I spent four years at Baylor, like in Waco, Texas. Like, oh my God. <laughs> and then went back for more. Like, no, I mean, it, it's just Waco, Texas. Wow, what a great campaign, PR campaign for a city. You know? <laughs> People think it's completely different. Yeah. Flipping houses. <laughs> you know? But I think that that's, that's not bad advice. Find a place you like want to go plant yourself and grow yeah. in because some of these cities might not be this. The university might seem like a good match, yeah. but the city might not be or the weather in that yeah. case. Yeah. 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 No. And, and um, you know, I was fortunate. I got there and it's funny. We talk about Casa Zapata. So I remember they, when you get after you get in, they would ask you about housing preferences. And I didn't want to stay in Casa Zapata because I thought, yeah, I'm coming from the valley. Like mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to see different people. Mm-hmm. So I went um, into a co-ed dorm, kind of just very diverse. Right. And I remember I, I loved the experience. The first year, I, I think I got homesick once. But for the most part, like, I just loved it. And, and I was a little surprised because I'm an only child and I'm very close to my parents. I live next door to my parents. <laughs> so, no, so that's going to be the question. So I missed home. I missed not home. I missed the culture and I missed hanging around with more people. Because I remember in that dorm, there were about 75 people. Most dorms were small and there were three Latinos in that dorm. And so I started sophomore year. I started to hang around um, in Centro Chicana, which was the community center. And I like I that's I planted myself there, mm-hmm. got involved in all of the Latino organizations and just became, you know, wanted to become a member of a community again. Um, and so it, it was it was just funny that that first right. My first experience was let me separate a little bit. And then it was like, man, I really miss home. I really miss being around people that I look like and that sound like me and, you know, similar challenges and experiences. Right. And so, and then I just jumped in and just, it totally immersed myself in that, in the Latino community. So, but what was it about, and I'm thinking as a mom, right? Mm-hmm. An educator of high schoolers, 
what was it about your youth or your upbringing that got you ready for college, for leaving home? Um, was it having your independence, your confidence, being able to navigate the world like I was um, being an only child. It's like I need for his right. (laughs) Well, so so like for him, it would be all the that because it would just be him doing. The parents are going to be okay. Don't don't fall, but then willing to yeah yeah be inspired and just be. I think my parents they knew they'd always encouraged education. They'd write, they'd always pushed me to dream big. So they knew, like they, I think they knew, okay, he's going to want to go away. And I, I, I always, I was very open with them, but I, I think the independence, both of my parents worked and from a very early age, right. My father puts me to work. I learned to cook for myself. I was doing my own laundry. You know, my, it drove my grandmother. Yeah. I, I took home ec in high school and learned to sew and do everything. And, and so I remember it drove my grandmother crazy because she lived next door to us. And she used to call my, my dad complaining about my mom, that my mom had me hanging clothes. Cause in the summer we didn't use the dryer. We hung them. Yeah. And so we're cutting the grass. And why was they, why was my mom making me do these things? And uh, it's funny because the story that my mom tells me is when I went away, my grandmother passed away while I was a freshman in college. But when I went away, um, she told my mom she understood because mm-hmm. I, I could do it. I could be on my own. I didn't need anybody doing anything for me. Um, and so, yeah, like, I mean, I, I remember getting there and I was nervous and I was, you know, a little scared, but, you know, um, did didn't struggle with that, with that independence aspect. No. Didn't struggle at all with that. Did your mom do it intentionally? Did she raise you that way intentionally so that you couldn't leave the home? Or what was, because not every mom here in the Valley no. does that. You know, we tend to over-nurture. Yeah. Guilty. We're always a bit of a approach. Like, you don't want to let go of the It's not the kid. It's a mom. Though. Yeah, yeah. Don't leave. Why? I mean, do you think your mom had a plan? I don't know if she had a plan. My mom's just really independent, very stubborn. And um, you talk to any of her siblings and they'll tell you the same thing, that she's just really stubborn, always going to do things her way. And so I think it was just a matter of, well, if you want to do that, you do do that, do that for yourself. And and it'll be good because then you don't need to rely on anybody for to do your laundry or to do whatever it is mm-hmm. I needed to do. And so so I just I just did it. Yeah. Or if she she also had to travel sometimes for work. And so um, my father didn't do laundry. Um, so I would do the laundry. So I would I said, well, do you have clothes? Let me go put them in the wash and I'll get them ready. And, you know, do you need something ironed? I'll iron it for You're you. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yes. Yeah. Studies show that one of the main reasons kids are successful, like in high school or or junior high, is if there's an adult in the building that cares for them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes kids find it through sports. Who was or and for me it was an army of people. It wasn't just one yeah. person. And I wonder if that was something you found in football or did you find it in I was just incredibly fortunate because I think at every grade level, I had really good teachers and I was the, like the vocal kid. I was the the smart kid who kind of kept himself and I did the work and everything. Um, I wasn't loud. I wasn't going to get in trouble because I was afraid of my father. Um, 
And, um, but I had teachers that always saw something in me. And, um, you know, so I was just very fortunate. I think, I think um, one of the interviews that I did on the podcast was a, a college classmate. And he tells a story of, he was applying for an internship. And they asked him, you know, you went to Stanford, but your siblings didn't go to college. Why? And he mm-hmm. said, he said, luck. You know, he he lived in San Diego and he said he just when he was getting ready to go to college, he got zoned to a different high school. And he said and there were there were adults at that high school that saw something in him and nurtured that potential. And his siblings didn't have that. And he, he said, it's really interesting because he says, we want to tell a narrative about, well, I worked hard. And he said, yeah, I worked hard. But had those people not been in my life, who knows? I probably would have still gone to college, probably. But I don't know that I would have gone to Stanford because they're the ones that said, you're going to go to Stanford. And I think for me, it was constant support. I just it was very fortunate. Right. So absolutely frank. But. I had so many teachers that were just amazing, always saw something in me, um, coaches that that took care of me and, and also kind of, I think, you know, nurtured me, right? Um, so I was just really fortunate, I think. And what does that, what does that care translate to when, in, in academic terms? Like, were they cared? And, I mean, did they invest? Did they challenge you what did they they did all i think they did all of those things I mean, because we don't care like mm-hmm. i love you but what what is it what is the action what what is the what does it become and yeah what output does it yield right what yeah. academic output what growth in you right i mean because care is such a big and we we went to school with the creator of yeah of, of that uh, academic concept right? yeah yeah, care, Dr. yeah Dr. Valenzuela yeah that you've got to care right uh additive schooling as opposed to subtractive schooling when when you care yeah you yield better outcomes right? yeah. but, but how what is that process process break it down for us you know when I was in high school at the time right Ed Kelchels was sending kids to Ivy League schools and I think a lot of it was because it was a small district most of the teachers were from the district. Most of the teachers were from Medcal Chelsea. Right. And so they had relationships, like they knew the families. And so, um, you know, I, Frank would always ask, oh, who are your parents? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I know you're, I went to school with your your parents or, or uh, everybody knew each other. And so it wasn't just about, I yes, I care about you, but I know who you are. Yes. And I know what you're going through. And I know, right? And so it, um, it was... It made the schools small, I think, because it, it felt like just everybody knew each other, right? The kids in my, in that class with Frank were kids that I'd been in school with since kinder. Like, so you just, you know, in such a small community, you just, you get to know all of these kids. Everybody wants to do well. Everybody has high aspirations. It's easy almost for a teacher to come in and just, we've got these kids that have been supported. Let's continue to support them. They're going to show up. They're going to do the work. They're going to dream big. Let's help them get there. Um, and so it, it um, I think that's what it, what happens, right? It's, it's not just, it's about taking that care. I care about your kids, but then really going deeper and asking who are these kids? Where are they coming from? What are their stories? Um, and I know with Frank, like with Frank, it was all about stories. So he'd always ask us like, what are your parents doing? He wanted to meet our, our parents and 
Um, he was getting ready to help you write your admissions. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and it was, um, you know, it was, it was funny because he, um, he, you know, he, uh, he's very competitive. And I remember he used to, he was a basketball player in high school. He'd drive around and he'd have basketballs in his car. He wasn't a basketball coach when I was, when I was his student, but like, you know, he, he'd take a kid home. Like I remember he took me home one, one afternoon. We, I don't know, gone as, as a class somewhere. And, um, he took us to Mexico. The good old days after, when people are. Yeah. Like, after <laughs> school, after school, oh, after yeah, school. No, no, we, not. we called our parents. We, <laughs> so he took us, he took us into Rio Bravo, right across the river, oh, we're good. Well, right across the river. There was a, there was like a ranch where they had these giant monos that told the history of Mexico. And so they were like these stations. And so he said that his, the, the man who owned it was like his father's compadres. And so, so we drive out there like three cars packed full of students and we walk around and, you know, talking about the history and he's, you know, and, uh, you know, afterwards we drive back and he's dropping me off at my house and he says, Hey, Hey, Jay, do you want to play basketball? I'll play you a game. And so he gets out, you know, and he's just shooting baskets. I eat the house and he would invite kids over to his house and he would barbecue for us and stuff. And, and, and he wasn't the only teacher that did that. A lot of the teachers did that. And, and I think it was just such a small community. It was easy to do that, mm-hmm. you know? Yes, yeah. definitely. Those years. The same thing. My med director, he drove me to San Marcos to try out. I mean, he was Mr. Casillas. I mean, he was he was that kind of teacher. It's not going. It's going above, or it's up the above and beyond. I yeah. think when somebody not only sees you as a student but part of the family, mm-hmm. is familia. What yeah. you said that you missed about being back in the valley. Yeah. Because as we see, not only did you go away. Mm-hmm. But you said, okay, I'm returning. So when you said, because now moving forward of Stanford, now with college, what did you, or after college, what was your career path that you said? Because <laughs> I know, yeah. yeah, because after, okay, so then Stanford, you say you, you those, so you yeah. had the, the, the main goal of coming back. Because I No, that wasn't, that wasn't my goal. Oh, it was, you came back. So um, I went to college thinking I was going to do business. Because okay. because it's Stanford, right? Mm-hmm. That's and that's you go and you work in Silicon Valley and there you go. And so or technology. And I went thinking I was going to do business. And then Stanford had this thing where for two weeks you could do shopping. You could go to any class you wanted mm-hmm. for two weeks. What a great concept. Yeah. So you you would That's shop great. for classes. And you had to do the homework, though. So if you got if you were visiting seven classes, you had to do them right. But you didn't have to, like, finalize your schedule till the end of those two weeks. So the classes that I enjoyed weren't business classes. Right. They were literature classes, history classes, sociology classes. So here I am. And and I all of a sudden don't know what I'm going to do. So by the end, of, we had to declare by the end of sophomore year. So we had time to explore and. And, what year was this one? Uh, 1999. Oh, the dot com. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. The right. The, yes, yes. And so everybody was everybody was was um, setting setting themselves up to be 
financial consultants and working like working for companies. Big money. Yeah, big money. <laughs> everybody, everybody was talking about big money, making big money. I had classmates that dropped out to go work in the dot com um, because there was a lot of money to be made at that time. Um, I instead chose Chicano studies. <laughs> All, all of the classes, like all of the classes. No professor that, there to sway him. <laughs> I was, all of the classes that I took were all related to Chicano studies. And, and, and I thought, I really enjoy these classes. And I remember calling my father and I said, dad, I declared a major. Okay. What is it? Chicano studies. Well, what's that? And, and can you get a job? I was going to say. <laughs> and I said, Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I can work in government. I can do nonprofit. I can do this and do that. And I was lying out of my teeth. I had no idea. I had no idea, but, but I want, I didn't want them to worry. Um, every, every summer that I would come home um, at this point, Frank started a nonprofit out of the high school called the Young Around the Center. So every summer I would go and I would work there and I would get Stanford to pay me. I would get to, I would apply for a research and inter, uh, uh, assistantship or internship and Stanford would give me money for the summer. And I'd come back to South Texas to Elsa and I would do oral histories with Frank and go into the community and do asset mapping and all host uh, community exchanges and leadership trainings with mm-hmm. people from around the country. And, and it wasn't work that I thought, Oh, this is the work I want to be doing. I, I liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought I was going to be a teacher an elementary teacher because we always started Stanford always on the quarter system. So we would start like the third week of September. Right. 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 So I was around till then. So I would substitute teach and I would do elementary. And, um, and you do know that September is a honeymoon stage and I'm so glad they only put you there. (laughs) Well, you know, it's like they glad. Oh, it was so glamorized. First month, first six weeks is life can be changed. Well, so I would, I would substitute in September and then I'd, I'd usually come home like a week early in December. So I would substitute in December. I would substitute sometimes over spring break. Um, And so I really enjoyed it. I am, you know, from P coach to, and I did grades Mm -hmm. kinder through eighth grade. I did all of those grades and I thought I'm going to be an elementary teacher. And then when I'm getting ready to senior year, I panicked and I thought, and get this, this is, this is kind of crazy. I panicked because I thought, I don't know everything. And I remember thinking my elementary teachers knew everything and I don't. And and I I don't think I can do it. And so I signed up to do a master's degree. <laughs> so I stayed at Stanford another year and got a master's degree because I panicked because I, I, I didn't know everything. And that was a real fear that I had. I remember telling people that I don't, I don't know everything. My elementary teachers knew everything. And I'd go tell my parents that, no, that's what Mrs. So-and-so said. So yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So I stayed, I stayed and I did a master's degree in education. And so then masters after the year. Yeah. Within a year, I did a master's. And what did you do after you got your master's? And how did you end up back here? Because um, yeah, um, so so while I was working on my master's degree, um, so I uh, I'm working on my master's, and about midway through the program, um, Frank puts together a a teaching conference um, in the valley with all of these famous like anthropologists from around the country. Wow. So he said. Hey, Jay, why don't you come and bring your advisor? 
bring your, you think your academic advisor would come. And he was well-known cultural anthropologist. And I said, well, let me ask him. And he said, absolutely. He said, yeah, I'd love to come, come to your hometown and see what that's like. So while I'm down, we're, um, we're doing a, a, the, the conferences in Elsa. And I'm on a panel with uh, Dr. Hilda Medrano, who was the dean of the College of Education at that time. And she said, Jose, I really like your story. I want to give you a job. And I said, okay, doing what? <laughs> she, said, she said, teaching. She said, I have, I have the perfect position for you. Um, and so it was, it was teaching multicultural, intro to multicultural ed for pre-service teachers. So juniors, junior level students. And, uh, and my advisor said, take it. He said, you don't get an opportunity like that. Mm-hmm. So, so I said, she said, when you, as soon as you graduate, come see me. I did. Um, and she was true to her word. And I don't know how, I mean, you talk about good old days. I did an interview. I, 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 I walked, uh, they called me in to turn in paperwork and I showed up in like a guayabera and like jeans. Like, it was just like, I'm going to go yeah, drop this. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, there and, go. And, and she said, Oh, Jose, um, these folks want to talk to you. And it was the assistant Dean and the chair. And I was like, Oh, I guess this is a job interview. And, but they were more like, Jose, this is great. We love your record. Look at the people you've we worked with. You an office. Yeah, yeah. You're ready to go. We've got your computer. Can you start? Can you start summer too? And I said, uh, I said, can I have time to prep? Can I just start in the fall? And they said, yeah, yeah. But, and so that was, that's what brought me back. And I told myself I would do it for three years. I said, I'll teach for three years and I'll go back to school and then I'll do something else. And then I fell in love with it. So how many years was that then that you invested in? At, at teaching at the university? I just finished year 20. You see? 20 years at UTPA, UTRG. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Wow, that is fantastic. Not officially retired yet. No, no, no. Yeah, I just resigned. So. And so you came back and started teaching while you were teaching. That's when you got your PhD. So you commute to Austin, Texas, which is how many hours of a drive from here? Oh, I think the speed limit was 50. Now it's a You asked, like, why would this person be doing this? And I think for me, it was just, I liked being a student. I liked learning. Mm-hmm. And um, and I missed it. And so I applied to a program and didn't get in. And and I applied to a program not knowing any better. Um, I applied to the anthropology program. And they said they, they only took two students at a, like every year. So I didn't get in. And I thought, man, you know, what do I have to do? I graduated from Stanford with honors. I, you know, my master's. So I call, I message all of my references and I said thank you uh, I didn't get in but I'll, I'll reapply next year but I appreciate the support and um, and one of them says um, can I make a phone call for you and I said sure so then the next thing I know like 30 minutes later Doug Foley calls me and he says hey Jose um, Miguel Guajardo was Frank's brother um, he, uh, he was telling me about you I think uh, I want to give you, I want to, I want to, I want to, what is offer you admission into our cultural studies and education program, PhD program. 
And I thought, one, I wanted to work with Doug Foley. <laughs> so I was like, and oh, give me a little um, Doug Foley. So Doug Foley was a, he was a cultural anthropologist, okay. educational anthropologist, um, did a lot of work on, um, he did, so there's a book that he did about, about, a, about rural South Texas and about mm-hmm. the community's relationship with football and with like all of just the pad, like band and everything. And so really getting into like what's happening in, at, at a school at the ground level. Okay. And so I remember reading his book for my honors thesis to kind of ground my honors thesis. In. And so I thought, I, I want to go to UT because I want to work with him and I want to work with Ana Jala Valenzuela. And he was like, oh yeah, well, we're in this program. Oh, who would have known? I didn't know. I didn't know the program existed. It was a relatively. Yeah, he said they just. He was like year two or something yeah. like that of it. So, so I said, well, absolutely. He said, yeah, just forward your your application materials to our to our office. Okay. So I think that one of the things that you you keep saying you're just a lifelong learner, lifelong learner. Um, but we go back to the original, the original question, right? If you had to, after sharing your story or continuing to, because your story doesn't end here mm-hmm. today, mm-hmm. right? Because you continue learning, mm-hmm. you continue inspiring. Mm-hmm. And um, a little bit later, you're going to tell us just about this new <laughs> adventure that you're going into. <laughs> and we're, we're all excited uh, to see where it will grow. Yeah. But if you had to, if you had a young man, 18-year-old, mm-hmm. 15-year-old, you know, a young man, and why the the boys um, instead of the women, because, you know, I just, for me, what would be your advice to a young man going and deciding um, the choices, uh, education, or I'll go to the oil fields? I think. Why? Where? You know what? You know, to be perfectly honest, I think the young man needs more than advice. Okay. And I, I think it stops there. I think too often we we tell young people, you need to do this. I had a lot of people that showed me. Oh. And that's the thing. Like, like people, you know, I always, I'd always, um, I was always asked to give presentations during orientation to parents. And I'd always tell them, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at without countless people not only saying, Jose, you need to do this, but taking me by the hand and saying, Jose, I'm taking you to this office. Jose, I'm going to introduce you to Jose, you need, right? And, and that kind of support, because I think, you know, one of the fascinating things for me about the whole college journey was how much I didn't know, right? Mm-hmm. I was mm-hmm. top 10% and I didn't know anything. Frank knew a lot. And Frank gave us a lot of information and told us how to do a lot of things. And then once I got to college, I asked a lot of questions. Correct. And, and I never tried to do it on my own. You know, I, I remember um, I did a program called Sophomore College and I, and I took a, a class on, um, it was called Remapping the Americas. And it was, a, it was about cultural studies and borderlands and music and art. And it was a beautiful class. I remember reading a bunch of stuff that I had no idea what I was reading. And I remember feeling like an outsider and like, holy crap. And so one of the, one of the days after class, I just stayed and I talked to the professor and I told her, I said, look, I, I have no idea what I'm reading. 
And she just laughed and she said, and she was a Chicana. She said, Jose, I didn't know either. <laughs> and so like, like people telling me, like that, that was common. Like I, I was very honest with my professors and I told them, I'm reading everything and I don't understand a word. I am trying my hardest, help me out. And they did. And every single one of them, Jose, come to my office hours, Jose. There was a um, an anthropologist there. I, I, don't, I, I don't know where he's at now. Yeah, viejo. His name was Renato Rosaldo. Oh, he's living in think, California. I just saw him like a month ago. Oh, he is incredible. He is. I, I, I had him. He was offering a PhD level class and I wanted to take his class because I that's all he offered. He was like PhD level classes. I think I was doing my master's. And I remember it was a seminar and I'd sit in the back with this other guy because it's all PhD anthropology students mm-hmm. talking like from the words were going and we'd sit back there eating our lunch like we do. Do you know what? I don't know what they're saying, man. And so I talked to Renato and, and he said, Jose, I want you to come to my office every Thursday at two so every Thursday at two, I would sit with Renato Rosaldo and we'd talk about the readings. Mm-hmm. So Jose, what did you think about? Well, you know, Renato, this is what it, what I get. He said, that's that's a really good observation. And so it wasn't just, hey, you can do it. It was come and sit with me. Come and let me show you. Show. Yeah. Let me give you the secrets that nobody's telling anybody. And, and everybody did that for me. Like, I, I don't know what I did, but it, I was, you did something. yeah, 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 that's a good first step. Yeah. And if you're vulnerable, I think now that you teach at the university, you realize most people struggle, mm-hmm. you know, even smart people mm-hmm. struggle or even people you perceive. So I always tell my students when they come and cry in my office, like, you have no idea. You're not the only one. Yeah. You're just being honest about it. Yeah. Well, and because of that, like I, when I became a teacher, like I required all of my students, come see me. I said, is it's part of your grade? Two meetings. I said, I want to know who you are. And so they'd come in and we'd sit and talk and I'd say, give me 15 minutes. And most stayed longer than 15 minutes. But, but, but it was, it was, you know, my colleagues would complain about attendance and lack of participation. I never had to worry about that because mm-hmm. I knew my students, they'd show up. And if they were absent, oh, they'd call me, text me, Mr. Saldivar, I'm, I'm so sorry, this, that, right? But but they were there and uh, and that made all the difference. And so rather like, you know, I, I asked a lot of questions. I was inquisitive. I knew I knew my students weren't going to do that for the most part. So I wanted to create a situation where we're going to have a conversation and let me, let me know who you are. Yeah. And they would come because that takes and, also vulnerability mm-hmm. to be able to, to be able to ask the question and not feel embarrassed because I don't know our, if our students feel this comfortable, even in classes today, can they raise their hand without being or feeling the fear of being judged or can yeah. I ask, except my right? <laughs> learning, but um so through this, mm-hmm. uh, when did you realize that you wanted to do a little more after your classes? Because you did mention you did mention that you are no longer um, full time. Yeah. Right. Um, I uh, I resigned at the end of June because um, a, a number of things. I think it was just like mm, the perfect storm. So it was COVID. Mm-hmm. 
It was um, things at the office never felt like they returned to normal. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought, for me, there was really good community there. And, and it wasn't there anymore. Um, I was the director. So I was like department chair of our program. So our program was the learning framework program. We, so all of our first year course was our first year experience course. So we saw about 50 to 60% of all of our UTRGB first year students in our classes. Um, and, and I, and then I started teaching a class that we had just created maybe two years ago called living and working by design. And it was, and I had nothing to do with this. It was a class modeled after a class at Stanford called, called, um, what is it called? Um, design thinking. Um, but the idea was for our students that didn't know what they wanted to do for undeclared or exploratory students, taking engineering design principles to their life and figuring out, okay, what are those moments in my life that have been most meaningful? Where do I find meaning? What are the experiences that I have? What are the experiences I'd like to be having? And so then we help students develop, design three pathways, three potential academic pathways. And then also while also thinking about potential careers associated with. And so never feeling, never, never, forcing the students to feel like I'm being pigeonholed into one thing, but look, I have all of these opportunities. Um, That class got me thinking about if I wasn't doing this, what else would I be doing? And um, I was on the school board, my local school board, I in Ed Ketchelsa for four years. I was board president for two years. And I, you know, I, I enjoyed working for the kids. I enjoyed like recognizing that, that I was incredibly fortunate and blessed. How do, how could I create more opportunities for students? Because I think even like when I was a senior, um, I got all the attention. My friends and I, we got all the attention. We got all the resources. Um, and then a lot of my friends didn't. And nobody paid attention to them and nobody looked out for them. Why? Why do you? Um, I don't know. You know, I remember senior year after football season, they put us into this class and it was a, like a test prep class. But there was never any intention for any of the kids to take tests, take the ACT or SAT. Um, and so I took it upon myself to try to teach my peers. I'm like, hey, let me teach you some strategies because I think you, we need to learn them. Because I'd been through a class mm-hmm. and I thought, well, let me let me see what I remember. Let me teach you. Um, but nobody was paying attention to that. And that always stuck with me. Yeah. That always bothered me. Um, and I always wondered if, if, if every kid got the kind of attention that I get, man, what would that be like? What would that do? Um, and so I think that's, that's part of what would drove me to decide to do consulting work. And, and, and then hearing from my own students, this incredible anxiety about, I don't know what I want to do, but they tell me I have to figure it out. I have to pick a major. I have to know what job I'm going to do. And, uh, and that was the whole reason for the podcast was because most adults that I knew didn't have it figured out at 18. And so I just or at 40. 40. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yes. And and so sharing that, sharing that with my students and sharing those stories and helping them see, look, very few people have it. That's that's kind of the extraordinary, right? Most people don't have it figured out. 
Um, then you have it figured out, and then they invent the internet. And it changes <laughs> everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. You really don't know how it's flexibility, right? That yeah. Yeah, and I, I would always tell my students, I said, look, I said, it's good that you don't know. I said, because you know what? In five years, when you graduate or four years, there are going to be a whole bunch of different jobs that don't exist yet. And so the best advice I can give you is learn as much as you can, learn as many skills as you can, be good at a lot of things, and always be ready to learn more. Um, And so... So I think taking that philosophy into school districts, I'd love to do that, whether it's teachers, you know, I think teachers, when I started meeting with students, my colleagues thought I was crazy. And how do you do that? Where do you find the time? And, and I would tell them, I just do it during office hours. I schedule them in advance and I just schedule them during office hours. And for the handful that can't make it during office hours, I meet them outside of office hours. And so I remember I had one other colleague who did that. And then, you know, a month later in faculty meeting, she said, Jose, you're right. It's amazing. Like, like it just changed every, the dynamic in my class. And, and, um, and so when we became UTRGV, we, everybody teaching that class, mm-hmm. you know, okay, now you're the academic advisor. Hey, you're going to meet every single one of your students because it works. Um, and so how do I, how do we take that kind of thinking into classrooms with different populations, with our migrant students, with our bilingual students. Um, so you're like a coach for school districts, for campuses looking for ways to have more meaningful moments in the classroom and ways to make connections yes. with kids and ways to get to know them better. Yes. So if you know your population, you can serve them. Absolutely. Better. Yeah. So do you want to give us a menu for teachers that are listening <laughs> to you know, um, that might be wondering like how? Well, I think that the menu is growing as we speak because um, because I think as, as we get out there and listening to school districts and to thinking about, okay, what is your it's need? What do you, right? So, so we, we just developed a, a model for to support first-year teachers. So first-year teacher develop, faculty development, it would be year-long support. Um, faculty development for ongoing support for teachers, right? Faculty development for our bilingual, faculty working with bilingual students, bilingual strategies, um, migrant students, gifted and talented students, um, building a college-going culture, right? I think a lot of, you know, just even like a, a curriculum that says like, let's be talking about this at this point, right? Because I think a lot of the the when we talk about engaged students in conversations about college, usually on the back end, junior, senior year. And, you know, if we have a conversation with kids as freshmen, and I, I like, for example, there's one activity that I like is, is that I just, the resume roadmap. Mm-hmm. And so whenever we teach kids about resumes, it's often during junior year, senior year. We need, you need to get a resume, right? Yes. So I, you know, well, if we teach them about a resume freshman year and we say, okay, let's build a, a, um, a fake resume, right? But let's think about the student you'd like to be and the experiences you'd like to have. What would that look like? Mm. So let's let's put a resume together and then that's that's gonna guide you. So now we know, okay, if I wanna be top 10, if I wanna go to play football, if I wanna go to the military, whatever it is that I wanna do, these are the steps I need to take. But at least I'm having a conversation about them freshman year versus Junior, the back end, junior fr- yeah. first part of junior year. 
when I missed the, out. Because yeah. right now that's what, you know, academic high schools are doing. They begin that development early the first semester of junior and then the second semester of senior year. It's like yeah. a college readiness class. Yeah. You know, but one of the interesting conversations I've had with you mm. um, re related to the type of work that you, you're pursuing now is this definition of college readiness. Mm -hmm. uh, at, at the public school level, we think yeah. we know what that looks like. Yeah. Many of us have taken that, that, that path, right? And we assume that whatever's written out there, and, and we you've seen the curricula. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of Packaged curricula, yeah, associated with what everybody thinks is college readiness. Mm -hmm. uh, some is not yeah. uh, specific to Latinos with the specific issues that we may confront here in, in South Texas. But what you told me once was, well, y'all think you're getting them college ready, but they're not when they get to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're not. Yeah. Um, so you have a really interesting insight of what these first year college students mm -hmm. go through and the mm -hmm. many barriers that they confront and 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 it's important that you break down those characteristics right in the work that you do you know this is what we need to develop in you as yeah. freshmen in middle yeah. school this is what you want to work on yeah in preparation for freshman year preparation for 10 11. yeah because we we're getting things wrong yeah we are mm -hmm. uh we're we're uh, you know there's this famous uh verse uh, from my Machado Caminante, my Camino se hace Camino like that, right? Mm. But what you're doing is you're clearing the path and you're giving, you know, this is advice that you gave us when you were working with our San Diego, who you mentored yeah. as well, uh, as he was going through the transition. And you told him, dude, what do you want to do? Do mm. you want to go to school your mom wants you to go to? <laughs> what's your vision? Yeah. What do you want to And that's when Diego got so confused. He thought, hold on, I thought this guy was already going to give me the template. For success. <laughs> and here you open up all those caminos. It, it, it was wonderful because then we went home and we created path one, path two, and path three. Mm -hmm. He went with path four that he made up with different elements yeah. that you had told us he could. Yeah. Uh, and even, you know, even I, you know, I've been in education for over 20 years yeah. and I thought I have this being, so I can advise my first kid who's, mm -hmm. you know, going to go to college on, on the right way to do it. Well, I couldn't because yeah. I was confusing him. Yeah. And, and I think that you do a really good job in creating that understanding of yeah. college. Um, I think, um, you know, when, when, when I, when I teach that class, one of the things we start with is how does the state of Texas define college readiness? And so I'll, I'll ask them and I'll say to find that for me. And so they'll go on the internet and, you know, it's um, your exit, your star scores and this and that, the TSI, but there's nothing about interpersonal skills. There's nothing, right. A lot of these other life skills. And so they, most of my students about midway, maybe about a couple of weeks into the semester, they realize hits them that like, I'm not ready for this. Nobody taught me. Nobody told me that, sir. Nobody told me this. Um, and so, you know, I'm very open with them. I'm very, I share a lot of my story with my students um, just to kind of show that, you know, I, I've been there, um, right? I, I understand that. Um, and I understand also my experiences might be different, but let me help you through this, right? Tell me what's going on and maybe we can figure this out also. Um, but I think, I, I think, and, and I don't know that, it's any fault of the schools, I think, right? We, we place a lot of trust sometimes, maybe blindly. And, 
in higher ups that say that give us a curriculum and say this is what you need to teach and this is this is how your school is going to be evaluated, right? And so, unfortunately, there's a there's a, there are a lot of gaps, mm. and you know, and and I I think my work and the company that I work with, that's what we want to fill, right? Um, we want to fill those gaps and we want teachers to feel good about the work that they're doing. And we want kids to feel good about school and not see school as a, as this terrible place or like, I don't want to go to college because it's an extension of this experience that Mm -hmm. I just had where maybe I didn't feel like I was being heard or valued. Um, And so getting them to see, you know, the, to develop lifelong learners and yeah, all of these wonderful things. So where can they find you? Uh, so <laughs> we uh, so we have a website, and the website is the way to college. But it is really we are burning the website down and rebuilding it. We mm-hmm. have an intern working for us, um, wonderful intern, because I think looking at the website and with a lot of my guests, I'd share mm-hmm. the website and I'd ask them, "Send me, give me some feedback." The website looked like we just did, like I was a private college advisor. Let me take your kid and I'll, and for, for a fee, I will help, you know, help your kid. Right. And that wasn't sure I can do that, but that's not really the work that we want to be doing. We want to be working with schools. We want to be working with students. We want to be working with faculty. And so reimagining and rebuilding the website. Um, so it is the way to college.com and hope we're hoping to launch actually in the coming weeks. But there's a particular acronym that I really like. Creo. Yeah. So it's uh, yes. college readiness and educational outreach. Um, or educational nice. opportunities, I'm sorry, educational opportunities. But now we we need to go and submit paperwork because it's going to be college and career readiness, educational opportunities. So it'll be C squared or CC. Okay. But it's still But Creo. it's called Creo. Creo. Yeah. It's Isn't it amazing? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's really cool because it's, you know, it's because yeah. it is about, at the end of the day, believing in, in our future generation, right? Yeah. Believing that they can and they are very, very capable of that. So yeah. this has been great. I don't know. Hey, what do you think? We uh, could keep talking. Yes. I have, I have oh, 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 one you question. Are, you should ask me. <laughs> yeah. So you told us that you don't want to go into teaching because you felt that you didn't know it all. Mm-hmm. Do you know it all now? No. <laughs> Oh. No, but I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> no, but I think I'm good with it. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. You I, never know everything. No, no, and I know, and I think that's the fun part is, yeah. is still learning. Is still, yeah. My my students would teach me something every day, and and that was exciting. And so, you know, I accept. I didn't. I embraced it, not accepted it, because when you accept, it's kind of like, well, I, I guess, right? But no, really embraced it. I embrace it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know everything, but but I'm willing to learn. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. No, thank you. Thank all. you. This has thank been you fun. All. Very we'll here next Tuesday. <laughs> 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 Absolutely, yes. All right. Well, so this this I guess this concludes another episode of the College Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm excited. I'm excited to post this. All right. Thank you. Um thanks. Thanks for listening and uh and we'll see you again. Bye-bye.